This is Growing the Valley, a podcast by the University of California, Agriculture and Natural Resources. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Melliron, Farm Advisor for Butte, Tehama, and Glen Counties. I'm your other host, Phoebe Gordon, Orchard Farm Advisor for Madera and Merced Counties. Today, we are welcoming Kat and Travis Yoon back to Growing the Valley. Um, so Kat is the Orchard Systems Advisor for Sacramento, Solano, and Yolo Counties. Um, so welcome back, Kat. Hey, happy to be back. Today, we're going to be talking about a research project that you're doing looking at uh, heat during the dormancy period in walnuts. So can you just give us like a, you know, a really brief overview of what you're trying to do? Yeah, so the motivation behind this was that we've experienced a lot of warmer winters lately, and we expect winters to keep getting warmer in the future. And that's a problem for trees like walnuts that have a high chilling requirement. So what we're trying to do, you know, in the long term, the solution for that will be varieties that have lower chilling requirements. But in the short term, the next 20 to 40 years, dealing with the varieties that we do have, we need some some adaptation tools, we would say, to help those trees get through warmer winters or help them feel better on the other side of warmer winters. So what we're doing is heating up trees in the field to simulate those warmer winters and then applying dormancy breaking products towards the end of winter to see if they can essentially trick the tree into thinking that winter was warmer than it was and wake up more uh, normally in the spring. Let's go over walnuts themselves and what they require. So what is generally the range of the dormancy period and how do you kind of differentiate between what's a good winter and what's a bad winter, at least when it concerns walnuts? We generally think of dormancy period as being November 1st to the end of February. You know, trees do not have day planners or calendars that they look at. So they don't know if it's November 1st or not, but that's roughly when conditions start getting cooler and trees start going dormant. So, and then we count through the end of February if you're a higher chill, later leafing thing like walnuts, but it would probably be earlier for other crops. Dormancy ends earlier for earlier bud breaking crops like almonds or or plums. And, And what we're looking for is an accumulated experience of cold conditions during that winter. So old school way of counting that is chill hours, which is any hour between freezing and 45 degrees Fahrenheit. We've figured out uh, newer ways since computing technology has gotten better, ways that count more like the trees count. Turns out they're very good at math that we call the dynamic model or chill portions. So in the chill portions world, we think Chandler needs about 55 to 60 chill portions. I think it's something like 900 chill hours, 900 to 1,000 chill hours. They're, they're not perfectly equivalent. Otherwise, what's the point of making a second model? But there's, that's some, somewhere in that ballpark of overlap. And, and yeah, so what is behind this is both having cool conditions during the evenings and nighttime, and then also having fairly mild conditions. So also staying cool during the day. What's a 
problem is if it gets really warm during the day and we have these big swings in temperature, those high temperatures can essentially undo the cold temperature experience from the previous night if it gets warm enough. So yeah, so that's what we're looking for is cold nights, cool days. If we can get fog on top of that, that's great because you know we're talking about air temperature here, but what really matters is the temperature that the buds experience. And if they're sitting out in the sun, even if it's a relatively mild day, they're gonna be absorbing a lot of that solar radiation energy and heating up. So why did you decide to initiate this project? You know, I've been a, a super nerd when it comes to winter chill for about a decade and a half. I did my PhD research on how winters were gonna get warmer, you know, the extent of that warming and how that was gonna affect orchard crops in California. And uh, you know, so I presented all those data to the industry and everybody, you know, as could be expected, was like, so what are we going to do about it? And I didn't have a good answer for them. And we really, you know, as an industry didn't have a good answer for them. And subsequent to me doing that research, we had two very warm winters that created a lot of problems for a number of crops, walnuts, pistachios, cherries, and I think that finally got the industries to come around to like, okay, this isn't a problem we'll have to deal with eventually. This is a problem we need to deal with now. And so the Walnut Board approached me to test these dormancy breaking products to see what is the best adaptation tool that's on the shelf or very near being on the shelf that will be available for growers to use. So you kind of mentioned earlier, you're, you're heating up these trees and applying rest breaking agents, but I know that there's a little bit more involved in it. So can you describe kind of how you are simulating these warmer winters? Yeah, whew, girl, I've got the wrinkles and the gray hairs to show. There's a lot more involved in it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so it's a pretty infrastructure heavy project because it's just one of those rules of doing field-based science that as soon as you want to study a problem, that's the year that mother nature decides to not have that be a problem, right? So that was certainly the case with a lot of my PhD time was like, let's study the effect of warm winters. And then there were a lot of cool winters while I was trying to do that. So, you know, there's good reason to think that these going into it, that these products might have different results if they were being applied to trees that had gotten enough winter chill versus if they hadn't got enough winter chill. And so so we wanted to be sure that we were testing these products in conditions that would simulate the problem that they were trying to solve. The way we did that, working with Dr. Maciej Zwinieki on campus at uh, UC Davis, was we built essentially open top growing growth chambers in the field around five-year-old walnut trees and heated them up with indirect heater, uh, diesel air heaters, and then pumped that hot air into those chambers so that, you know, it's open top. So they're still getting the same radiation. They're still getting pretty good to the same air movement. Humidity is the same. Rainfall is the same. The only thing that's really different is the temperature. And in doing that, we got temperature to increase anywhere between five and nine degrees, depending on the night, the airflow, and, and also during the day, just with the mild greenhouse effect of having this clear plastic siding around these trees. 
So what we were shooting for was to increase the temperatures to decrease chill by about 20% to get down to around 50 chill portions, which is where we've seen big problems with Chandler in the past. So we did that from basically the beginning of November through almost to the end of February. And, and I should say that, so paired with that, we have other trees that are in the same block, but not being heated up. So they're experiencing ambient, normal, adequate chill conditions. And then from there, once the trees have been heated for a whole winter, about 30 days, about a month before bud break, we came back and we split the tree up into four different scaffolds. And each one of those scaffolds on both the heated and unheated trees got one of these different breaking chemicals. And another really interesting thing that we're looking at with this is not just spray and see the results, but we're trying to understand the physiology of the response to these treatments and the physiology leading up to these treatments so that we can better predict how trees will respond in the future in grower fields and tell growers a little better, like these are the cues to look for, or these are the timings that are best for applying these things. And so to do that, Dr. Maciej Zwinecki, who's uh, in the University of California Davis in Department of Plant Sciences, he is maybe known to listeners through the Carbohydrate Observatory. He's working with us, or I'm working with him, to study different kinds of carbohydrates before and after these treatments, and really as the trees progress through winter, to understand when the tree is most receptive to these treatments, when it can have the most impact. So we don't have great data from that so far uh, in the same way we do the phenology results, but stay tuned for that. That should hopefully create some interesting and helpful results in the future. You can kind of get away with just looking at a scaffold because even though one tree is the same organism, functionally, a branch is going to operate independently from another branch. And so you're not, well, you, you might be influencing to a small degree, but you're not really influencing a whole lot if you do something to one quarter of a tree compared to looking at everything else. Yeah, I mean, that's the supposition. You know, it's uh, with any experimental design, there's something that's not quite the same as it would be in real life. And what we know that juvenile trees, very young trees, behave differently in their bud break behavior relative to adult trees. So we, because of that, didn't want to be using potted trees in a greenhouse setting. So that's why we wanted to use these trees that were already into their bearing years and have sort of settled down a little bit. It's true that there is probably some interaction down in the trunk as we're applying these different treatments. So there may be a slight degree of difference between what we're finding in the field and what what a grower would experience, you know, if it moves it forward four days in our trial, moves bud break forward four days, it might only move it forward three days in a grower field when that's the only thing being applied to the whole orchard. But what we're looking for is relative difference in effectiveness. This is really just the beginning of what will be a number of years in looking into these different products to really hone in on the right recipe. So it's still an effective way to look at 
relative differences in effectiveness for waking up the tree. And it keeps costs down a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like these, you know, we've got two of these diesel heaters because they're open air, open top chambers. We want the rain to get in. We won't want to mess up with relative humidity, uh, a bunch of really good reasons to have these be open top chambers, but that also means, you know, hot air rises. So um, and that means that it takes a lot of energy to keep those temperatures up in these growth chambers. So, you know, it's just the walnut board that's funding this. We don't have backing from any state or federal grants yet. Fingers crossed that'll, that might come through, but we're trying to be as, as cost effective in looking at this as possible. And so that's the way we figured out how to do it. So what are you finding? Yeah, so so we've done this. We've heated these trees and applied these rest-breaking, dormancy-breaking chemicals and then followed the phenology, right, the bud break for one whole winter and spring season. And that was bud break last spring. And this year we're in our second round of heating up the trees, but we haven't applied treatments yet. And, and what we applied last spring was three different products. And I should say, none of these are labeled for use in walnut for this purpose right now. So, you know, listen to this as a interested person in the industry, but do not take this as a directive to go out and use these yet because they're not labeled for this yet. So we had a water control. We had a product that is a cytokinin plant hormone analog called CPPU. The, the brand name of what we used was Moxie. We had a, a sort of cocktail of different nitrogen sources, nitric nitrogen, ammonium nitrogen, urea, and calcium nitrate, which is under the brand name of Erger. And then uh, hydrogen cyanamide, which is often marketed under the brand name of Dormex. And then one of the scaffolds got just a water control treatment. All of those products, well, I should say Dormex, and the Erger both moved the timing of bud break earlier in the heated trees. Actually, Erger didn't do any good when the trees got enough chill, but it did have an effect when the trees didn't get enough chill in, uh, in both the terminal vegetative buds and the lateral vegetative buds. So that's, you know, a later bud break is one of the symptoms of inadequate chill. So this is useful in correcting for that. But in some ways, that's sort of just a, uh, oh, like a, I don't know, horticultural curiosity. If it's later, we don't, unless it's like way, way, way later and gets into a heat wave or something else that would be detrimental to bloom. What we care about much more from a production standpoint is that not enough chill can decrease the lateral bud break and increase the window of bloom timing. So we want a pretty narrow window so that all the nuts are starting the race at the same time. And so they're all ready to harvest around the same time. And we want lateral bud breaks so that we can get you know, nuts up and down the branch, not just at the very tip of the branch. So we didn't find that any of these products made for a narrower bloom window, which was sort of surprising. That might be based in how we set up the, the data collection. So we're going to be doing things a little differently this time around uh, this spring to try to hone in on that. We did find that Dormex increased the lateral bud break 
compared with water and none of the other two treatments separated themselves out from the water control. So, so that was really great to find that there is a product that is out there in the universe, even though it's not labeled for walnuts yet, that growers should soon be able to turn to, even though they can't use it yet, as an adaptation tool for, for getting through these warm winters. And what's nice about them too is they, um, you know, these are products that you use when almost all of winter has passed already. So you'll have a sense before you use them of whether you think it's really necessary to use them. That was at 4% hydrogen cyanamide, which is a pretty high dose. So we're also going to look into in the future if a lower dosage or a different timing can make it, can maintain that effectiveness at a lower cost to the growers and as, uh, you know, a safer rate. It is labeled as a danger. So this, it's definitely something you want to be very, pay very close attention to your personal protective equipment and all of that stuff and talk to your guys about that before they put this on. Actually, they can't put it on yet. <laughs> it's not labeled yet, but it's probably going to be available next for use next end of next winter. Um, so definitely pay attention to your PPE when you do that. Let's let's use this stuff safely so that we can keep it in the, in the toolbox once it is in our toolbox. So you you mentioned you know previously to make sure that the trees aren't in a completely artificial environment. You had to leave the top open and you're only doing these rest breaking agents on, you know, a, a couple, you know, a scaffold per, per tree. Are there any other limitations to this research that might limit the extrapolation or the, the management recommendations that you might get from this project? Yeah. Um, so the other thing we were really hopeful that doing this on uh, fifth, leaf trees that were already into their bearing age would also allow us to take yield measurements. And that was not the case. We moved the timing of female flowers coming out so much in so many of these treatments that there wasn't any pollen left around to, to pollinize those flowers. And so yield was lower in a lot of the treatments that broke later, but it wasn't because there was some phytotoxicity or anything like that. It was just because there wasn't any pollen around, you know, they just showed up too late to the party. But if we had a warm winter throughout a whole production region, then everybody would be late to the party. So they would be able to meet up in terms of catkin pollen and female flowers a lot better. So that is one limitation of this. We can't really get yield data out of it. We can get, you know, things that are like antecedents to yield that, that influence yield. We do watch how many female flowers come out of these vegetative buds, both the lateral and the terminal buds. And in keeping with the increased lateral bud break, we also saw increased lateral female flowers in the Dormex treatment. So, you know, that tells us that it's more effective at getting that than the other treatments, but it doesn't tell us how much more effective it would be at a you know, per acre scale in terms of yield. I don't know nearly as much about walnuts as I do about pistachios, but one thing that is being discussed is just having a higher diversity of pollen producers um, to try to kind of get around this issue of making sure you have enough and good pollen production overlap with female flower receptivity. I don't know if that's also another possible way you can deal with this in walnuts since I know that they're 
male and female flowers are on the same tree on walnuts and like in pistachios. Yeah, I mean, so that's really, that's an interesting thing that's not actually similar in walnut production. So the, right, the, you know, the catkins come out on a given variety at a different time from when the female flowers come out. But the walnut industry has so many more high profile varieties in it. It's not like, you know, I don't know, your your prunes or your pistachios that until very recently have been reliant on really one variety and thus one male to colonize that variety. You know, the majority of the acreage is Chandler, but there's still a lot of Tulare, Howard's, uh, a number of other varieties. And we also generally grow walnuts kind of in the same district that pollen can go for miles. So um, it's not the same challenge to get pollen in low chill years. It's just that we really cranked up the heat on a lot of these on a lot of these things so that they were breaking buds at the end of April, even the beginning of May when there was just nothing else around the way that there would be if the whole area had experienced low chill. You have another year to go at least, but where do you hope that this project is going to lead to? The the big first step of this project was to see what has been used elsewhere, has a decent track record in other systems or, you know, other cropping systems or other countries and see how those work and look at that and stuff that is on the market or near the market. So we've checked that box in that we know that Dormex can move a lot of the the needle on the things that we're concerned with and it should be available next spring, but that's at at a super high rate at just one timing So we would really like to get better at figuring out an ideal timing that is most efficient for the grower's production system. And and we'd like to have more than one tool in the toolbox that growers can turn to. So so this coming spring, we're also going to be applying different treatments to see how those fare. And I think from there, hopefully with funding from the Walnut Board and or some granting agencies, we'd like to scale up to to get a a larger screening system set up that's more like greenhouse trying lots of stuff, lots of timing and stuff that hasn't been researched as much. That's screening stage one. Screening stage two is this field stuff in still uh, manipulated smaller scale conditions. And then Screening stage three is with growers at a scale that we can look at yield impact and that sort of thing. So that's the hope. I mean, I think it's it's early days in terms of looking at this. We're, I think I'm on this ride for at least, I don't know, another four or five years. But so far, we've gotten some promising results and we've already got one tool that growers will be able to use soon. So that's pretty exciting. Great. Did you have anything you wanted to add before we sign off? I'm, I'm just delighted with what a successful relationship this has been with the Walnut Board to make this happen. And uh, maybe not everyone's comfortable with me framing it this way, but you know, these are climate change adaptation strategies. And I like, I just, I just love that, you know, the industry and researchers have come together to find solutions to these warmer winters. And it's just been a really, yeah, a really productive relationship so far. So I guess that's all that I would add is thank you to the California Walnut Board for working with me to find these solutions for growers. And I hope we can keep doing it. 
Great. Thank you so much. No, no. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Growing the Valley, a UC A&R podcast. You can find out more about this episode at our website, growingthevalleypodcast.com. We'd like to thank the Almond, Pistachio, Walnut, and Prune boards for their support. We'd also like to thank my sister, Muriel Gordon, for writing and recording the theme music.